but we're looking at um, Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. Our scripture lesson is Isaiah 66, 1 and 2, and then uh, we'll be turning to the first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 5, and which is uh, the beginning of um, Jesus' words of Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitude. But first we'll hear from Isaiah, and this is a passage about judgment and hope. This is what the Lord says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. And then um, turning over into Matthew chapter 5, just looking at verse 3, and this is the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Appreciate the songs that um, were picked out and selected for today. Charlene does a good job of picking out those that go along with the message. The supreme blessing. If you were to write down what the word in this Matthew passage speaks, blessed are the meek. What are some words you would write down to describe or to define meek? Just think about that and hold that thought or those thoughts till we get to that part of the passage. The verses in Isaiah and Matthew, they have a correlation in the respect that both Authors see value in blessed are the poor in spirit. Which is interpreted as blessed are those who see their need for God. We all have need of God. Every one of us in this room and beyond these walls. Which is interpreted in here in Isaiah and in Matthew, their need of God. There is not a greater feeling in the world than the mountaintop experience, is there? We love being on the mountaintop experience, right? We love being on top. And Israel thought they were there. Israel and Judah both felt that they were on top of the mountain. God had chosen them as their people. And they felt like they had it all. Just like UNC won the football game yesterday or the I saw on the uh, little ticker tape this morning that Tampa Bay won in the bottom of the ninth last night. They were on top of the world for that moment, for that instant. And Israel, as a chosen people of God, felt like they were on top of the world. Nothing could go wrong for them ever. And we love it, don't we, when we have that mountaintop experience. And we work towards it, and we plan for it sometimes. Sometimes it just arrives, 
but sometimes we work for it, and we get there, and there's no more exhilarating feeling than being on the mountaintop experience. But sometimes we're in the trenches of life, aren't we? We think about, in the past 20 years, some of the things that have happened nationally and globally. We think of when the Twin Towers and the Pentagon and that plane went down in Pennsylvania, 2001, 9-11. We think of the financial crisis of 2003 and the greater one of 2008. And now we're in a pandemic. We're in the trenches and we're kind of in the throes of life. And Israel was falling just like that. Things had not gone well with them and their relationship with God. They thought they were on top of the world and they could do anything. They had it all. They could do no wrong. But then they fell from grace. They fell from the obedience of God. And they lost their way. And this 66th chapter in Isaiah... It speaks to that condition because God is saying, I've made all these things, but really, where is the church? I've made all these things, but where are you really? Chapters 1 through 39 were written close to 700 B.C. for Isaiah, while the remaining 27 chapters were written some 20 years later. And Isaiah's warnings to the people were intended to purify their hearts, their understanding of God's true nature and his desires for them. So these two nations, Judah and Israel, they were once a united kingdom, and they've been separated. And they kind of continued on this path of following their own desires and their own wishes. And eventually, if you remember... 786 is when then the King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar came with the Babylonians and overthrew Israel. And then later, the other nation was overthrown. They evidently didn't see their need of God, nor did they possess a real desire to obey and follow. They continued their own wishes. The last 27 chapters contain a message of forgiveness, comfort, and hope if they followed the Lord's decrees. See, Isaiah believed God was holy and God's people were to be holy if they wanted to divert the approaching disaster of being overthrown. And so Isaiah warns against an ugly, materialistic approach of worshiping God. So we find in the 65th and the 66th chapter and in other places a similar expression that began today's passage in Isaiah. This is what the Lord says. Isaiah was trying to imply that this wasn't coming from him. It was coming from God. And so the supreme blessing comes in following the Lord. No matter if you're on the mountaintop or when you're in the valley, it is the recognition and the acknowledgement of one's daily need of God. And that's what 
Israel and Judah had forgotten. Their daily need of food spiritually. And so we find in the book of Matthew, blessed are the poor in spirit. Israel and Judah were not following God. And they were struggling. Their heart wasn't really in it. They were just kind of going through the motions. Have you ever done that sometimes? Now I remember playing some baseball games when I was in high school, and sometimes you just kind of went through the motions. And you didn't perform as well when you did that. So I ask you this morning, are you all in? Are we all in with our hearts for Arthdale friends, for God and His righteousness and His holiness? Are you all in? Or are you just here because? This selected passage in Luke is from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And the passage has been called the ordination of the twelve disciples. It is also known as the Magna Carta of the kingdom. The twelve disciples received these words of Christ before they were to go out and to follow him. And to follow his example. And to be his example in the world. It is the core and the essence of Jesus' teaching to the inner circle of his disciples. And so these eight beatitudes of Christ are not just for us to read. We should take time to listen to their depths. And what Jesus is saying to you and to me today, to us today, and our relationship with him. These beatitudes are not pious hopes, that we, something we want to achieve. They are more of a congratulation of what is available to you today. It is something that you can enter as God's people. Not in the future, but entered when you accept Christ. So it's there. Are you all in? Are you all on God's page? Or are we just kind of floating along here doing what we want to do? You can enter it today, and it can be yours. Oh, the blessedness of the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Human happiness, our happiness, is usually dependent upon the possessions of things, isn't it? A lot of times. You know, this is Pastor Appreciation Month. I don't know if I've ever received so many cards and appreciation notes that I've had this year. Our mailman's probably getting tired of opening our mailbox and stuffing stuff in it. I've never received so much thank yous. You know, and I can, my head kind of swells, you know. But then I realize that it's the poor in spirit that God really wants first and foremost. Oh, the blessedness of the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of happiness, kingdom of God, excuse me. And human happiness does not necessarily need to depend upon those things we receive. Thank you for all that you've sent. It means a lot. It's greatly appreciated. But these things perish over time. 
They just perish. They just vanish. The accumulation of possessions in the house. The accumulation of stuff. It's eventually going to be gone. Even the accumulation of friends. The older we get, we notice that one slips away and goes over to the other side. The Christian blessedness is completely untouchable and goes on forever and begins by following Christ. The Beatitudes speak of a joy which runs through us, through our pain, our fears, and finds in our own griefs and in our own sorrows and finds us in our troubles. It is a joy that shines through our tears and a joy that nothing can but be our own love of God. The world can win its joys and the world can lose them also. But as God's people, we have a serene and an untouchable joy that comes from knowing and following Christ and being his obedient people. The grace in the Beatitudes is not glimpses of future beauty. They're not even reminiscent of the golden years. They are the triumphs of a joy that can't be taken away. When you're with Christ, that joy runs deep. So what are you doing with that joy that's in your life? What are you doing with the things that bring you joy? Do you contain them to yourself? Or do you, do, do you share those? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And there's a couple ways we can look at this uh, meaning of the word poor. In the Greek, there's two words that are used for the word poor. One describes a man who has work to do. He has to do all of his work for his own living. The man who has to serve his own needs. He is poor, and he must do everything he can to stay alive. He has nothing else but just his work. You know, like the beggars at the city gate, or the, that we see on the street corner today. Some of them, that might be all that they have. If you've ever been up to Open Door Ministries, you know, they house overnight guests because some of those people don't have any other place to stay or sleep. There's a place in Greensboro, uh, Urban Ministry, maybe you've heard of it, and maybe you've served there. But homeless people come there, and they stand on the street corner of a morning, hoping that some contractor or someone will come by and hire them for the day as a day laborer. That's all they have, except the clothes on their back and the shoes on their feet. The person has nothing. So that's one definition of poor by the Greeks. The second one describes the working person, maybe a little lower than you and I. Maybe they don't have much. Maybe there's nothing that is elaborate, but they're not destitute either. It is the, so that's the second example. But it is the first example which is referred to in the Beatitudes, a person who has nothing at all, but recognizes their need of God more than anything else. So this Beatitude becomes even more surprising. Blessed is the person who is absolutely destitute. 
and some other scriptures to go along with that. Psalm 34, 6. This poor man cried, the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. This poor man, in this sense of the term, is the good man who God responded to. He knew his need of God. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Psalms 9.8 and Psalm 35.10. God delivers the poor. I will satisfy the poor with bread. Psalms 132. In all these verses, the poor man is humble, helpless, but puts his trust in God. Luke 4.18. Jesus said these words following being baptized by the Holy Spirit. And after he'd come out of the wilderness, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Jesus was set aside for this work. And he was announcing his ministry to the public. Are we all in? Is your heart all in? Or are we just kind of floating around doing what we want to do? Israel was just kind of floating around. God had given them all this stuff, but they hadn't given him his heart. And you go back and read that 66th chapter, you see that God is not in the sanctuaries necessarily. He wants to be in the heart of the people. And the people have to respond and give him their hearts. And Jesus here is saying, I've been set aside for this work to help these kind of people, the poor in spirit, not the destitute necessarily, but those who recognize their spiritual need of Jesus Christ every day. That's what he was sent to do, to help the brokenhearted, those who were discouraged, those who don't know who he is. He came to deliver those that were captive, captive to their own self, captive to their own possessions. He came to deliver them. He came to deliver us. They needed God, and don't we all? William Barclay passed away in 1978. He was born in 1907. He was a minister and he was a theologian. He was a Scottish author. He was a radio personality and TV presenter, and he wrote a set of Bible commentaries. There's a set out here in the hallway just right across from the choir room on the bookshelves. But he once said, and I've always thought this was a good quote, and it's a little long, so just stay with me. If a person has realized his own utter helplessness and has put his whole trust in God, there will enter into his own life a complete detachment from things. For he will know that things have not got in them 
to bring happiness or security, and he will become completely attached to God, or, no, for he alone will know that God alone can bring him help, hope, and strength. It is those who are poor in spirit who have realized that things mean nothing and that God means everything. We must be careful here, though, not to think that this beatitude calls actual poverty a good thing. Because poverty is not a good thing. I don't want to live in poverty. I don't think you want to live in poverty. I don't think anybody wants to live in poverty. Poverty is not a good situation for anyone. And I don't think Jesus ever blessed the state where people live in slums and don't have enough food to eat or clothes to wear or things to take care of them. That kind of poverty is what we should be attempting to remove. That poverty is blessed. The poverty that is blessed is a poverty of spirit which realizes its own utter lack of resources to meet life and which fully relies on God. Are we all in? Are we all in? Where's your heart? What's it telling you? So this beatitude means, oh, the bliss of the man who has realized his own utter helplessness and has put his whole trust in God. For thus alone he can render to God that obedience will make you a better citizen of heaven. So if you define the word meek, how do you define it? Who is meek? Who is poor in spirit? We have a kingdom work to do. There are poor. There are captives. People who are oppressed, discouraged, lost, forsaken, especially in this time of the pandemic. Let's not forget our neighbor. Let's not forget our relatives. Let's not forget those who aren't able to be here, who don't have the means to be participating in a service because they don't have internet. How are we connecting in today's time with the world? How are you connecting? Are you all in with God? Is your heart there? Let us do our part to love one another with the love of God.